0: Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know.
1: I actually woke up with the idea in the middle of a November night, and I thought, if I can remember this, when I go into the office, I'll tell Dan and i did i told dan about it we riffed on it together and said let's do it uh what became the
2: minnesota Cup? it was some dream i'm sure i made it much better
0: from Twin Cities Business, this is by all means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Hi, this is Allie. I want to take just a minute to thank you for being here as we mark a major milestone. This is episode 100 of By All Means. We started the show to get in your ear with some of the amazing people we write about in Twin Cities Business, the magazine and online, the people who've built companies we love to claim as Minnesota-made, companies like Caribou Coffee, Anytime Fitness, Great Clips, as well as the next generation of impressive founders, giving us hope and inspiration for the future. Behind every business venture is a human story with twists and turns and lessons and drive to make it work by all means. We'd like to think that the By All Means podcast archive has become a living, breathing testament to the amazing spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation in Minnesota. When one of our past guests sells a company or starts something new, it's fun to go back and hear where their head was at when we recorded. We hope you'll do the same. Thank you for sharing your favorite quotes, for sharing your favorite episodes, and for encouraging us to keep going. Let us know who you'd like to hear on the next 100. Now, as we thought about episode 100, it was only fitting to talk to a legendary duo who have become synonymous with serial entrepreneurship in Minnesota. Of course, I'm talking about Scott Littman and Dan Mallon, co-founders of several successful technology startups, starting with Imaginette in the 1990s and moving on to Magnet 360, a marketing tech firm they sold to Mindtree in 2016 for a reported 50 million. In all, they've had four exits of their own, but they've advised countless others. Beyond their own success, Scott and Dan may be even better known as the founders of the Minnesota Cup, the state's largest startup competition. Started in 2005, it's become the gold standard for startup contests here and beyond. It's truly a rite of passage for many Minnesota companies that have gone on to great success of their own. For the last six years, Scott and Dan have been building another tech company called Equals Three. Unlike their previous service businesses, this one is a product, Lucy, an AI-powered management platform. But enough from me, let's let Dan tell us how he and Scott think about technology and new opportunities
2: yeah we we love technology, and again, you know we each showed up here in electric cars. But the purpose of technology, going back to business, is how can we differentiate or accelerate or create competitive advantage, leveraging technology, but not just cool flashing lights. Um, the flashing lights, you know we enjoy that stuff. Mm-hmm. but we want to be differentiated, and what we have always done for our clients has given them competitive advantage across all of our businesses. Competitive advantage delivered through technology.
1: Got it. And I think one of the common threads for both of us is recognizing what's next. Uh, there are times that we'll come in with an article from you know, Fast Company or Wired and we'll point it and say, that sounds brilliant, but it's not going to work. It's, there's all kinds of amazing ideas out there. Uh, There's all kinds of amazing tech, but what's going to get commercialized? What's going to make a difference in business? What's going to be the leading thing? And we've been really good at making bets on what's next and the what's next that breakthrough and becomes mainstream.
0: Well, Scott, let me ask you the same question. Do you feel like you were, were you born an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, there's no question. Uh, I'm wired for it. It's in the DNA. And when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, that's when the The star that was Steve Jobs and Bill Gates both emerged on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I got hooked on two things. One is I got hooked on the technology. Uh, I just love tech, I, you know, and, and, you know, working with computers, you know, I was the kid that in high school when they had the computer class, I didn't actually take the class. I helped the teacher teach the class. Uh, <laughs> but the other side of it was I was like, my destiny is to be an entrepreneur like these Silicon Valley or West Coast tech startups. Wow. You know, I love the idea of of, um, the casual professional. I love the dedication to the technology and to the outcome and not having to, you know, wear a suit and play business. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, when I was a year out of the university, I had my first startup Mm -hmm. and I've just been geared for that from, you know, the time I was 12 or 13.
0: How, first of all, do you think the two of you would have been friends in high school? Uh,
1: probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have great chemistry together. We enjoy each other. We have fun together. Uh, the, the same, you know, the same movies and things drive us. The same tech drives us. So, yeah, we, you know, we didn't meet till after college. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we would have been we would have been cool with each other. OK. I
2: Good. I, I to say I totally agree. Right. The, you know, the, the challenges that technology brought to us and the things we got to do with it. You know, started early in both cases. I just want to say I can one-up him, too. In high school, I wrote the attendance program for my high school, and it couldn't mark me yeah. absent, and they knew it. But they they couldn't figure out how. I love it. I mean, I told them. I shouldn't say it. like And, and my little sister benefited from that also.
0: That's amazing. I love it. I'm curious, Dan. How did your time, given that you just were inherently an entrepreneur, when you went to work for 3M, and obviously 3M has a reputation for innovation? But how did you do in that environment of a big company?
2: You know, it's uh, I have to give them a lot of credit, and I had some great management, and um, and the, you know things that were were said about me during my tenure there are pretty uh, hilarious, and in hindsight. You know, things like um, Dan does things for the right reason, which was inferring I don't do them in the right way. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm always – I was always striving to make 3M a better place. I had another uh, manager who who was nice enough to say words along the lines of um, just give Dan a, 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 an objective, no budget, and he'll come back with it solved. And I used to beg, borrow, and steal um, from, all, you know, all kinds of places – but solve major, major things for 3M. I worked from a business unit, but I I think seven different systems that I created inside my business unit became core to corporate systems delivering the same solution.
0: As two people who love thinking about the possibilities and, and see the trends, Scott, how did you, with your very first startup, how did you decide where to focus your energy? How did you decide what problem you wanted to solve?
1: Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, one general thing for any successful entrepreneur is you do have to figure out what's the unmet need. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur, you're starting up with fewer resources than everybody else. So you better be really good at the unmet need. Uh, when I was uh, at the U, uh, there was a specialty Apple dealer uh, dealership in downtown Minneapolis. And while I was still a student, I became its general manager. Coincidentally, Dan and I were both offered the same job, again, without (laughs) us knowing each other at the time. Unbelievable. Uh, Dan turned the job down to go to 3M, and I took the job. Uh... The company was an interesting learning experience and entrepreneurial journey. You know, so I'm still, a, you know, a, at the U, I'm making professional money, I'm leading a team, uh, we're doing a significant amount of business, and it really was in the early era of digital prepress. And the thing is, the founder of that company decided that he wanted to get out of digital prepress on the selling uh, computer side, because he thought it was going to go uh, to a commodity, which, by the way, he was right. And he got into a different area and angle that was not interesting to me. And I thought, well, the digital prepress, the selling the systems uh, was going to become a commodity. I thought it still had years left. And mm-hmm. so we formed the business around what he didn't want and what I thought, thought would be interesting for a few years. And we built that business very successfully. We had customers like Target where in the era of circular production, we digitized it. Uh, And we did that, you know, we did digitization of package design at General Mills and Pillsbury and other businesses. Hmm. And then midway through the life of that business, we did make the transition because we saw that that was going to go commodity. And we became one of the early internet service providers, which shortly after that, Dan and I connected on all of that.
0: Got it. And then how, and talk just a little bit about the project that you worked on together when you were still at 3M and how did that go?
2: Well, you know we had this uh you know situation the internet was starting, and it's funny to say starting because it had been around for you know years but, <laughs> you know, but commercially starting right commercially starting um and uh and so there was all kinds of what would three m dot com become what would it be and and so and I was one of the core team members in, in launching that.
0: Isn't that but, wild to think about? Oh, like, it, what is a company? Like, imagine well, a day before 3M.com.
2: Right, right. It's, for most people, un- unimaginable. And uh, and I was representing what was called the office market center. So all data storage products, all office products, all, you know, post-it notes, all the, you know, post-it easel pads, those kinds of things. And so we had, uh, we had 2,200 products. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at that time, we were publishing a CD that had the content of what these products are because we could send it to all of the distribution and they could use the pictures, the images, there's video, there's audio, whatever there might have existed. So the first thing we actually did was convert the CD database that created the CD and publish it in an automated fashion on the internet. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds pretty typical today. For, for almost five years, we were the only person, only people ever to have thought of that, right? Wow. Uh, where we were connecting. So our, 3M.com in its first iteration, which Scott and his team built, um, at least the Office Market Center's portion of it, was all data-generated data, d- data generated content and at the launch of the Internet. And really what became pretty cool about that was I was doing some public speaking, doing some things on uh, – Uh, Sharing how we how we did that or embarked upon that, Mm -hmm. and so people started knocking on uh, my door, saying, "Can you help us?" And so that's so we went from, you know, kind of a vendor relationship to, "Hey, I have all these people. I'll do some strategy consulting on the side, which I reported to 3M, and then uh, and then Scott and his team continued to build, and we became a separate entity through that process."
0: Got it. Did you two start talking about doing something on your own during that time?
1: uh absolutely the uh, uh, Dan, because of the role he had at three m and because he was on the road, he just became a lead gen machine, and he's like, there's got to be some place to send these. I'll send these to the vendor that's doing the good work. It was obvious uh the fit, and uh, we started to collaborate on. How do we formalize this? How can we make this into something? And it really, uh, um, you know, those were the earliest days of our business partnership. And it did evolve over a period of years. And we've been together ever since.
0: Was it scary at all to you to leave 3M? It Uh, was not
1: scary at all for me, for for him to leave 3M.
0: (laughs) Were you like, come on, come on, come over to the other side with me?
2: Yeah. Um. It really wasn't scary. I, I, I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I had had that intent, uh-huh. and even um, I'd had some offers to leave and do other things, and uh, which seemed very juicy and good at the time. And uh, but I was learning a lot. I got to do a lot. And the other thing that we ended up being pretty good is I learned how to be in a big company. Because the second thing that's always happened is we have sold to big companies. Right. Our clients are not are anything. They're just the Fortune 1000. Mm-hmm. They've been Fortune 100 at times. And so there's, a, there's, there's an understanding of how the processes inside big companies happen. There's understanding about signing authority and how to sell to them. There's understanding about delivery and technology and things. And so it, it's been pretty, it was a great education yeah. that allowed us to, to, uh, to deliver the awesome things that we do, but to do it at a scale and to a client list that, you know, every day is just unimaginable. Well, right. and
1: easily in our careers, we have sold to over a quarter of the Fortune 500 and having that enterprise experience has just been part of our DNA in our businesses as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting, I think, especially today as entrepreneurship is so intriguing to a lot of young people and they want to just go and do it. And it seems like, you know, it's quote unquote easy to do it. But I mean, we've talked to so many people on this show who have that Fortune 500 experience, especially in this town. So many people who come out of General Mills or Target or 3M and do their own thing. Do you still feel like do you recommend that when young entrepreneurs come and talk to you?
2: uh there's nothing wrong with experience i just want to i want to say that part of it mm-hmm. um that said it's so easy to get into get into business today and do things that it's not always uh required the other thing and we want to honor the the legacy of the great entrepreneurial businesses you just described yeah because minnesota is an entrepreneurial culture and has been and 3m know, from its origins and General Mills from its origins and uh, and the other pieces and the original Silicon Valley was here, right? which nobody really understands just how much control data and these other enterprises fed our community. And uh, so while they're big companies, they have entrepreneurial spirit and it's not an outpost of another company. They were founded here. They right. were created here. Uh, The work ethic here and the opportunity here is just awesome.
0: Big companies started as small companies.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We're all meant to be something. And so for the person who's meant to be an entrepreneur, this is a great place to be an entrepreneur.
0: Hmm.
1: And when you talk about, you know, was it scary? If you're cut out for it, it's not scary. You just believe it'll work and you go do it. If it is really scary, it may be one of the signs that maybe this isn't the right path for you, too.
0: Right. Um, I'm curious, Scott, when you're talking about how, you know, way far back in high school you were thinking about, you know, being that Silicon Valley entrepreneur, did either of you, did you talk about taking this whole brain trust and bringing it out to California?
1: So we've had multiple junctures where people said, you can't do what you're doing here. Go, go west. That's mm-hmm. where the money is. That's where the businesses are but we've always looked at it a different way which is to say this is the best place to do it and the you know part of it is particularly in the earlier companies that were services oriented we would build the best services organization within the tech space we were in for the region and we'd give uh, customers a choice you can go to the big guys that are coastal or you can work with the the a team that's right here in Minneapolis and you don't have to have people get on planes and pay for it You can have people drive across town. And so we've always relished not only servicing that Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 type business, we've relished competing against much bigger and better funded competitors, but using home field advantage to win. Hmm. And we actually think this has been a great place to recruit talent, it's a great place to live. And And why go out west where even though there might be more of it, the level of competition is insane uh, at the same time.
0: When the two of you formalized things and came together and said we're going to be business partners, you're leaving 3M, we're going to do this. Was it around one particular idea or was it just we're a, we're a power duo and we're going to do big things?
2: That it's a very funny answer to this question. I just want to be clear. Okay. Um 3M spun off a company called Emation. billion dollar spinoff, and uh, I was in that spinoff from 3M, and at the same time, um, Amation became interested in buying Scott's business, which I was a principal in effectively. So Amation bought Scott's business, and transfer, and um, then which I was a party to, Mm -hmm. and then they transferred me into my own business. Inside a nation, which we proceeded to buy back the <laughs> two of us uh, you know eighteen months later or twenty four months later or something uh
1: thirteen <laughs>
2: so details so, details, so right? the 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 key fact here of course, is we actually didn't even make a choice then <laughs> you know it was like hey okay um uh so the first time we actually worked side by side as as business partners was. Under, uh, you know, under Emation's guys and I was transferred into the business before, again, we bought it back.
1: Got and it. To the comment of duo, and I mean, for Dan and I, you know, we're both happily married. And we're also happily married as business partners to each other. Mm-hmm. And it is two types of marriages. But along the way, this duo has had partners. You know, the original business I had, you know, Bruce Greenberg and Ray Upaluri uh, with Minnesota Cup. John Stavig is amazing. And he is, you know, he is our partner in all of that mm-hmm. and really is now the lead partner and has been for a while. Uh, with the Magnet 360 business, you know, Matt Meantz, who is a great entrepreneur, was a great partner. In the Lucy business, we have Mark Dispenza, who's from New Jersey and is just, the his tech capabilities are amazing. And so there's a common thread that Dan and I are always together and you know, we have this huge bond, but we also have had partners along the way.
0: In everything you do, do you always know the role that each of you plays? To, uh, tell, tell me, how about if you each talk about each other's best
2: characteristics? Wow. That's oh, a, <laughs> you're, <laughs> saying, you're saying there's good inside? Uh... We're both ready to talk about our individual best no, characteristics. No, no, no. You no. each
0: describe each other's. How about that, All right, let, let,
2: me, let me jump in. Um, there's two things. First of all, we do know each other really well. And through that process, we know what is the right, uh, who is right, and in each situation for a- almost anything. Mm-hmm. That said, we also know that we can back each other up, and part of the power of this partnership is at any given time, whatever happens, whatever in our lives or in the business world, we have each other's back. Mm-hmm. And so, the, and that's a big piece of partnership. Um, you know, it's funny. I have such deficiencies in who I am. And Scott is so awesome at, at these things that in in lots of ways, and I've had this is a conversation we've had, I've had with my wife, I've had with others. I wish I could do half the things he does, and uh, and his organization and detail and all kinds of things just blow my mind, and I, I admire it. And uh, you know, he's got an empty inbox, and I have ten thousand uh, you know messages kind of thing, and uh, but. Uh, and a matter of fact, if anything's in his inbox overnight, it's usually something he has to make sure I did. <laughs> okay, it. just to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the but the truth is, our differences are what give us the power. And if we were the same, then we would be redundant. Sure. And so there's so, so there's some awesome things there. Um, and uh, and again, driving. Uh, I talk about the detail, but it's 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 driving towards a vision. It's keeping us on track. I show up with 20 stupid ideas and, and every once in a while he finds one of my ideas worthy of exploring. Hmm. And, and it's that meter in growth that has just been an awesome, awesome partnership.
0: Okay, Scott, what about you? D- messy inbox aside, what, I- what does Dan bring to this partnership?
1: So, uh, so Dan, Dan is amazing. And, you know, one of the things is like, what roles do we play? Usually I play the sales and marketing role. But there are times where there is sales and marketing brilliance that comes from Dan. Dan usually plays the operations, security, IT side, and there are t- there are elements of that where I'll step in. Mm-hmm. And so even within our clear responsibilities, we sometimes overlap or even know when to give the person the ball for a carry before it comes back. Hmm. Uh, between the two of us, Dan is more typically going to be the bigger, more visionary thinker. He's going to have the wild ideas. And it's great when he bounces them off of me because, uh, you know, nine out of 10, we we discard as just interesting conversation and just part of the process. And sometimes there's the idea that we just do as planned. Sometimes there's the idea we do, but once it goes through a bunch of iterations to make it go from visionary and exciting, but to then practical and implementable. But you know, even within the current business, there are days where I see Dan lead a security review as a one-man army to a Fortune 500 company that is in a space, whether it's you know healthcare, financial services, retail, where they have an army of people and processes, and he goes in as a peer to the army and represents us incredibly well. Hmm. And I get blown away. I'm like, I couldn't do that. And I don't know anybody that could do what he can do. And it's kind of fun for partners to be able to have the little elements where they're in awe of their own
0: partner. I love that. So what was the big idea that precipitated Lucy, the company and the product that you're working on now? Well, originally it was
2: Mark. Yeah. yeah, He's not here.
0: (laughs) Uh, The other guy. Yeah. He's not here. (laughs)
2: Okay. You know, first of all, we were we were selling Magnet Three Hundred and Sixty, which we knew, Mm -hmm. and and uh, you know others did not, and uh, and actually, and we were marketing the company as we as Matt's company, so Matt was going to stay on, and we we were exiting stage left. So you felt uh, like you had
0: done everything you could do with that.
2: Yeah, well, it it turns out a whole bunch of things, but also there's an element of. we we made a pro forma P and L without our costs in there that we so we got paid more to sell it without us. Oof. You know there there there's funny facts behind everything, but yeah we had done it we were comfortable with where we were. Uh, it, Matt had a, just an awesome vision and, and a place to go, and so we thought it was time to do something else.
0: When we get back, Dan and Scott delve into AI. That's next after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best & Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best & Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Coming up, Dan and Scott talk about what the Minnesota Cup has taught them about entrepreneurship. But first, a partner is pitching the dynamic duo on a new sort of AI management tool. Take a listen.
1: Yeah, and really, Mark came up with kind of three core ideas. How could we use AI to optimize media? How could we use AI Uh, to better target audiences and how could we use AI to enable the people doing either of those functions with better research information. And we built out all three things in the first iteration of Lucy. And we had sold all three things to various customers, but as we kind of went through the process, and really Mark was the inspiration for the three legs, but as we went through the process, we started to realize that in the area of media optimization, as much as we could do really cool work, It was still more work-for-hire than it was product. And there were too many competing interests with too much money, and we weren't going to be able to stand out far enough. The audience space, we quickly realized, you know, there are, you know, billion-dollar companies that that's all they do, and we weren't going to compete there. But we found that what was really the third idea, which was how could AI arm people with the right research at the right time, we started to realize that that really was the whole area of knowledge management. And that was an area that every business has a problem around. And it's something that content is built not to be, there's no consideration for it to be found. And when I say that, when you think about the public web and Google, Mm -hmm. every page is screaming, pick me. But when you think about every PowerPoint or PDF or Word document or internal audio or video, it was never generated to be found. It was generated for the purpose of that presentation, that delivery via email, that to that audience. And yet, most of that data, which is so valuable, goes unused within 30 days of its creation. And so we thought, this is a problem where we could do something with AI that'd be amazing, and that really is where Lucy started to take off from there.
0: And so what does Lucy do today?
1: Lucy is an answer engine. It's her job to find the right answer for the right person at the right time. And as an answer engine, powered by some pretty amazing natural language AI. She works with a variety of companies. Initially, it was around research and insights. You think about large Fortune 500s like Pepsi and Kraft and GSK and just having immense volumes of this kind of data. But increasingly, she is supplementing that with HR and digital learning. Think about the new employee that comes into an organization. They have no idea what precedes them. But Mm -hmm. if they ask Lucy, where do we have this? What are the conditions for this? Where does, where is the study for that? Lucy just gives them the answer. Not here's a list of documents, but here you want this on page 17 of this PowerPoint. You want to go to minute 13 and 12 seconds of this video. By the way, both those things are relevant answers, and they're from different systems. I'm going to give them both to you.
0: Can Lucy also say you should kiss up to this manager because that's the one who's going to get you promoted? <laughs> Not
1: uh, the, yet? You know, is that answer, next iteration? No, <laughs> so uh,
2: the, the funny you say that, but there are some systems that inside companies that are about finding the right resources, finding, making sure who's working on something, what you need. And one of the things, you know, Lucy does is connect to systems also. So by asking the right questions in Lucy, you might get a document, you might get a video, you might get some third-party data that you've licensed, and you also might get taken to the system that has that that has that answer. And so, yeah, the the, the short answer is yes, we can we can <laughs> help we, we can help uh, employees succeed better by uh, hopefully not kissing up, but finding the right resources <laughs> to get the right answers. And 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 you know, at some level, it's about making better decisions faster, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so again, those who've been in big companies, somebody comes and asks you a question. I don't have the answer. I'll get it for you. You go back a week later. Here's the answer. And the executive turns you and he says, "I had to make that decision five days ago." Hmm. Right? They didn't have a week to get the right answer. They have to make it with the information that's available to them today, today or tomorrow. And uh, and so,
1: well, we we had one of these today. Uh, Dan and I were in a conversation with our team. There's a, a one of our key customers, and the discussion was around you know things related to billing terms and renewal, and you know the thing that was floating in my head is people are trying to remember what they were, and so in the middle of the conversation, I just asked Lucy for this customer, what is you know what are the terms around this, and I got exactly the paragraph I had it in you know eight seconds, and then I you know copied it, pasted it put it right into the conversation, said, this is the, this is the foundation. We operate around this. Wow. And it just was an immense time saver.
0: And when you say you asked Lucy, how? Did you say it? Did you think it? Did you type it? How so does it actually
1: work? Uh, the primary interface has always been web-based. You know, we're a web-based app. That said, increasingly, we're integrated to messaging apps so that people on their phones using, like, Teams or Slack can just ask. Hmm. And Lucy can respond through those channels as well.
2: And when you say audio, uh, audio, we, we we've already developed audio and turned it off, um, and if and the reason is audio still introduces too many errors, and so um, and and anybody who's used Siri or Alexa or uh, and these companies are spending billions of dollars to to get that right, mm-hmm. and um, how often is it just a hundred percent right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, no, it, too much. And then the second piece is most of our answers come back in a visual form anyway. So you'd be asking through your computer or device, and then you'd get something uh, visually back, although there can also be an audio version of that.
0: Got it. How is this technology different than general search engines that we're all accustomed to using? In some ways,
1: you know, Google really isn't a search engine. Google is Google's a, an answer engine. Uh, you know, the more you express yourself fully, to Google the more you're going to get the right answer but the content in Google is in the public domain the content in Google isn't really always very verified you know you get what you get and the um and so when we apply this to data for companies we're looking at what is the data they own that is explicitly not in the public domain what is the data they license the subscriptions they have to organizations that provide really high level in-depth reporting and that is not searchable in the public domain so Google is an answer engine Lucy's an answer engine but Google is an answer engine against the public domain Lucy's an answer engine against the data that is owned or licensed
0: got it and in your customers by and large are big companies that are used.
1: either big companies or companies with immense data needs Particularly around unstructured data, data that's in, you know, document types like PowerPoint, PDF, Word, audio, video, wikis, things like that.
0: You've been at this one for a a handful of years now, right? We're
1: we're six years in.
0: Does that that feel like a lot to two renegade entrepreneurs such as yourselves?
1: It feels like more than a decade.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how do you know? How do you know when it's time to exit, when it's time to sell this thing and move on to the next idea?
2: Well um you know the market truth is the market will will lead us there and and when when, it's the, when it is the right time you know Scott said we started with uh three parts to this product as we focused in on one and um and really, really have driven into an unbelievably successful technical piece, right Our technology is mind blowing and and again, mark, <laughs> we talk about mark. You know, this year we said we need to be ten times faster in our uh, indexing and ingestion, and uh, and which seemed at the beginning of the year. He announced last, I guess it was last week or the week before at our quarterly, that he's hit twenty twenty times. Jeez. You know, and and uh, and so we're we're still we still have those kinds of technical challenges and opportunities to to get our creative juices flowing. And then the other piece is there are, you know, the use cases Scott talked about. We started off kind of in marketing research and insights. We've gone into HR and technology. We've gone into IT where we can answer all the IT questions. Operations uh, development. call center. Yeah, operations, call center. We have people putting globally all of the, the manuals, uh, maintenance and repair manuals for their manufacturing equipment. And in the plant, instead of going into a small room and looking at all the manuals when something breaks or I need to maintain it, they're gonna, you know, it's going to be Lucy-enabled. And this is also multilingual. And, and to top it off, they wanted we, Scott's doing a demo, and I think it was in Italian. So they, they gave us a, a handful of documents in a couple different languages. And so we, we had to, of course, translate them, create questions, translate the questions back. And so Scott's copying and pasting questions in Italian to do the demo. <laughs> and uh, and, and the, the, lead, the global leader of these manufacturing plants is like th- just blown away by not just seeing what we could do, but seeing what we could do with a couple of their manuals.
0: So is it that the cha- there's still enough challenges that it keeps you two interested and engaged?
1: We, uh, we always want to plant the flag for success. So we are excited. We get up every day and we get to do it. But we are also very purpose-driven to ensure success. We have too many people, our employees, and we've got a great team. We have too many investors, some of them that have been generational, that they've been in multiple of our businesses. And we are committed to, uh, to winning. Which means
0: eventually selling?
1: Particularly from an investor standpoint. But yeah. all of our employees are shareholders. Got it. As well, I mean, we've always been committed to the core value of shared ownership. Everybody's in it together. Mm -hmm. So we do have to create exit value, and we have to create a value to the equity that's far ahead of where people started.
0: Do you do you like that pressure? Do you? I mean, how do you feel about? I mean, these days, I feel like there's a lot of conversation around. Everybody goes to get. Some are maybe trying to raise money too early, too much money. How does that taint what they're working on? What's your perspective? I'm not sure I know how to live without
1: that pressure.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I, pressure isn't the right word in my in in my viewpoint. Um, you know, everybody is who's an entrepreneur starts with friends and family money, mm-hmm. and so it's responsibility, right? And you're and and again, we don't want to take money that people can't lose. We always are. Everybody, you know, if they lost it, they would still be eating dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a pretty important component, but. You know, and, and, and actually our, our, you know, the funniest part is that our parents are all in too, right? So they're, they're, in, they're invested with us. So it, it, I don't think of it as pressure. I do think of it, you know, we're responsible to represent and do the right things on behalf of all of those constituencies. And, and, and as you would in any investment, um, uh, that said, we, we have a vision. We get to see it to fruition and, um, you know, I do some other things like I, I I garden. I do some woodworking. I do other things, and part of the why is, you know, our my true outcomes are measured in decades, right? Eight ten years we 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 sell a company. That's our goal. From from fruition is to get there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But if I plant a seed, I can harvest a pumpkin. That might give me that might give me some something like I accomplish something because because it, mm-hmm. it takes. It takes more for us to, to get to what the accomplishment is. That said, you know, winning an account, every everything is a is a strategy, an opportunity. Um, you know, when somebody tells us no, I always you know, my answer is that's just the first time they're gonna get to tell me no. <laughs> and we're gonna go back at it, and we're gonna try it. And and often we've won some great business for people who've said no to us over time. And and uh and you know, they they'll say no. And, and um, again, the response is, okay, we appreciate that. If that doesn't work out, we're going to be here. And we've picked up multiple pieces. People spent a lot of money, did the wrong thing. And this is over all of the businesses. And, um, and but, but again, you know, we're not in, in this to be an inexpensive solution. We're the best in almost everything we've ever done. We're an upper end solution. We do it so much better. We do it so much different.
0: How far into your business partnership working together were you when, when you two created the Minnesota Cup?
1: So we had already had two exits, and we were entering a lockup period uh, where we had sold a business. We weren't going to be able to do what it was that we would normally do for a period of time. And we thought, it's let's pay it forward. Uh, Minnesota's been a great place for us to build these businesses. I actually woke up with the idea. Uh, in the middle of a November night uh, and I thought if I can remember this when I go into the office I'll tell Dan and and I did I told Dan about it we riffed on it together and said let's do it Uh, about what about what became the Minnesota and what do you
2: remember what he said to you what what was that dream it was some dream I'm sure I made it much better (laughs) um no no it, it, it was it was awesome in that uh it was an opportunity to to create something what was even cooler is we were able to take that idea, and only only an entrepreneur could have done what happened next, which is we showed up at the University of Minnesota, said, this is a great idea, and we, uh, and we showed up at, in the Carlson School, and they said, sounds good, and this is, you know, we're talking November, December, and we launched in March.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Press conference with the governor, uh, public launch, uh,
1: and... Yeah, I mean, the rest is history. But the thing I wanted to comment about it is when we created the Minnesota Cup, there really wasn't there wasn't a significant formalized entrepreneurial community. There's, there's a great history of entrepreneurism, but there weren't programs. Mm-hmm. And there were a few things that were starting to pop up at the same time. Uh, in the tech community, you had kind of like mini bar, mini demo that uh, kind of came within the year of after we launched. But now you look at Startup Week and there's 200 events. And all these events are, there's a level of collaboration and partnership. And we like to think that the Minnesota Cup was a little bit of of the ignition point of that in this community. And we love that Minnesota Cup, the award event now is kind of day one startup week and it's kind of is the kickoff to all of it. We love how Minnesota Cup bound a state government, the University of Minnesota, media like Twin Cities Business, all of the corporate partners from Wells Fargo, General Mills, and a host of others, and how we've had, you know, so many participants. Mm-hmm. What is it? Seventeen, eighteen thousand 18,000 participants, $2 billion of funding or exits around the top competitors uh, in that program. And, you know, it all started with, you know, an idea that we said, let's make it real.
0: Could Was the dream that big? I mean... Oh, of course.
2: <laughs> of course. No, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> No, no. I mean, the the funny part is, of course not, but yeah. also of course because yeah. we don't we don't think small, uh-huh. and so I don't know that we would have laid that out um, quite as much. But what we wanted to do was create an environment. And matter of fact, we used the words back then. We wanted to change the weather for entrepreneurs in the state. Those were actual words in year one, and so that in the act of changing the weather, yeah, this is a logical outcome. But I might add you know, 20 years ago, we weren't thinking 20 years ahead ever.
1: Yeah. But think (laughs) about, you know, we had a meeting when we brought the idea to the U and we met with Jim Campbell, who previously had been, you know, CEO of Wells Fargo and was interim dean at the Carlson School. And we met with Dave Cleveland and Dave had put an endowment at the Carlson School to support entrepreneurs because he had come off of, was a Riverside bank that he had sold to Associated. And so we had these two classic bankers with loads of experience. And what they said to us then is they looked at us and said, this is a good idea. We'll get behind it, which meant really Wells Fargo and the U of M will get behind it so long as you guys are committed to the long haul. And we kind of looked at each other. Well, why would we do this if we weren't committed to the long haul? Hmm. This isn't a a one-year campaign. This is a program that's meant to endure. And you know, so going back to the very beginning, we were set up to make it go and endure.
2: So, and you're still involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also want to say that as, as typically, we weren't asking them to do it. We were asking them to sponsor it. Sure. And so we were headstrong in it. We also showed up with our advertising team, our PR team. You know, we had resources alongside of us. That drove and helped drive that that um, that enduring success, because we ca- we became a brand, and that brand now represents the University of Minnesota and the Carlson School. But to the, all of the companies that have participated and been awarded, it's a stamp of excellence, mm-hmm. and they all every year make it better from what they've done, and and so again the the. the <laughs> The contest itself is a contest. And in some ways, I mean, we've said this again for years, we have to pick a winner. But the winners are all of the participants and all of the education and all of the mentorship and all of the learnings that all of the companies get in the process, including this isn't the good idea I should pursue Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna do something else. That is a winner.
0: Mm-hmm. Because the,
2: the 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 end of the putting the resources against something that isn't a winner, right? And and uh, and again, talking to the individuals that that we bump into at Best Buy or or at the gas station, who thank us for you know what for what they got out of it, and not somebody and and it's the companies that we've never heard of and we're part of it. But I can also tell you, the first years, I mean, we read every application. We, you know, we participated at every level. Do you
0: have any idea how many applications you had the very first year?
1: Yeah, we had uh, uh, six hundred and seventy-eight.
0: Oh, really? In year one, that's amazing. And uh, but how many did and you we, have this year?
1: And we read, and we read every single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and we, and we, there was some crazy in there, and there was some brilliance, uh-huh. and you kind of see all of it. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, several years, it has been over a thousand submissions or participants each year, which has been great to see. And this was, we had a particularly strong year this year. There's a little ebb and flow from year to year. This year was great. Really like the the companies that came out on the top.
0: Is that, is the increase a reflection? Obviously the program, you know, is, is well known. It's been around a long time. Is it a reflection of that, of, of marketing and PR and the word spreading, or the fact that there are more sophisticated founders out there, there's more focus on entrepreneurship? What do you think? I think that
1: the Minnesota Cup's gone to the point where it's just part of the Minnesota entrepreneur's journey. And when I say that mm. for the growth entrepreneurs, those that are looking at you know, the breakthrough ideas, the, you know, it's, there are different kinds of entrepreneurs, there are growth entrepreneurs, and there are lifestyle. And the Minnesota Cup is meant to find those next breakthroughs, those, uh, um, those that are going to go big. And I just think that, you know, check the box. We should go in if you are early stage growth entrepreneur. Uh, the other thing is there is increasingly a better and better ecosystem. And whether that is alumni of previously successful entrepreneurial businesses or whether that is the startup week itself with all of the, you know, and that's a culmination of all these different uh, oh. events and groups and organizations that are supporting entrepreneurs. I think all of it just makes a better entrepreneurial environment mm-hmm. and that does bring out um, more people
2: and then thus more quality to rise to the top. Right. Um, you know, we, uh, especially as entrepreneurs, you know, at 3M, if I wanted a desk moved, I'd fill out a form and a union person would come and move it. Right. As an entrepreneur, you know, how we, how we move desks is you go grab two people and say, let's go move a desk. <laughs> but the difference is, as entrepreneurs, we don't ask two people to move the desk. We go and move the desk with them. And if the CEO is sitting there moving the desk with you, you can never complain that that wasn't in my job description, because it certainly wasn't in their job description. But it sets the tone that we do what it takes to get the job done. And uh, and it's every day and in every way we're going to do work together, create team, create an environment. Um, you know, have the types of places that people want to work, with the people that people want to work with, and um, and th- it's that kind of orchestra that makes music. Mm-hmm. I do
1: think that collectively everything we've ever touched, whether it's our ventures where we've been, or where we've been, you know, board members or advisory is really around entrepreneurism, people that are working together hard to achieve a vision or mission, doing it together and not letting hurdles or pitfalls get in their way. I think that, you know, you have to constantly work the problem. It's never going to be easy. And what in each venture, or each team is going to encounter different you know pitfalls or obstacles but to have a belief together to overcome those things and i just think that that's been common in our entrepreneurial experiences and hopefully that rubs off on others
0: sure um are you already thinking about the next thing do you, do you know what it is? <laughs> <We're>, God, no. <laughs> uh,
3: no. Uh,
1: do you
0: keep lists? Do you have a...
1: No. I mean, right now, we're just all in on Lucy. And you know, one of the things that's exciting is like we just came out of our board meeting, and you know, we realized that the byproduct of the last couple of years of work is that over the last 30, 45 days, we have some opportunities of a, a level of scale that's different than the opportunities before them. And so right now, not only are we all in on Lucy, but we're all in to find uh, that next layer of scale, that next, you know, how do you go from, you know, X to X times two to X times four and just grow.
0: Hmm. Do you think, I, I think increasingly we're seeing big companies are creating, you know, their startup divisions and trying to be entrepreneurs. Can they possibly capture the sort of culture that you two cultivate as entrepreneurs? Can you do that within a big company?
1: Uh sort of. And I'm curious for your take on this. I mean, you do look at some businesses like 3M always had that thing where uh you could commit was it 5% or 10% of your time to mm-hmm. experimentation and that's something that, you know, eventually caught on by Google. And actually I think Google gets more credit for it now, but it's it's 3M. Yep and you look at uh, General Mills has put a lot of energy towards that kind of uh, you know entrepreneurism, uh piece and what I think is more practical than trying to take corporate people and I'm not saying this with General Mills but in some cases like if somebody's a corporate person it's awfully hard for them to become a startup person it's just it's a different environment but one of the things that makes being an entrepreneur in Minnesota so great is the disproportionate number of Fortune 500s we have and the opportunities for Fortune 500s to either invest, partner, joint venture, or even buy uh, ventures. And I think rather than, you know, if you're trying to, because I think of entrepreneurism, I it implies to me that you're taking somebody from inside the environment and trying to make them an entrepreneur. But if you find those partnerships or collaborations where... Businesses have significant need and they're looking for that startup energy and do it with entrepreneurs that can join them, partner with them, JV to them, serve them in some fashion. That I think is incredibly successful. And we really, our ventures have thrived on that. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that again and again um, that that is true. So I think there's a lot of collaboration and partnership between big companies and entrepreneurs. I'm just not sure if you can raise somebody inside a big
2: company to be the entrepreneur.
0: Agree? Yes. It's <laughs> um,
2: the shortest answer I've had all day. Right. Uh, there's, there's so much in, inside of uh, creating a, an, an ecosystem in the community. And so um, there's some great things that happen here where the entrepreneurs get to pitch all the big companies. And they bring in just some innovation teams or other places. And that spurs the innovation the The capability of uh, whether that's in the forms of funding, whether it's I, I think it's actually more important than funding is to to actually hire or work with the businesses because you want to again keep this community going and growing and and uh, and sometimes you know we see uh, there is no part of the core decision process that says, is this a local vendor? Now, there, there, are, you know, there are programs for disadvantaged communities, which are awesome, but why don't the big companies also say, can I work with somebody locally?
0: Hmm.
2: And, uh, and, 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 and in doing so, again, furthers every part of our community in, in great ways. Uh, and some of the companies do awesome jobs of farming systems, supporting, uh, providing access to tools or other things, resources to people uh, creating incubators or, you know, specific incubators around, you know, food or ag or, or retail or whatever. There are great things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there just is an element of, Hey, buy local, but buy local to a big company means let's work with local entrepreneurs.
0: Have you two ever had a big failure?
1: Oh, we've, uh, uh first of all, we've had many failures along the journey we just haven't had one that's been fatal. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In fact, some of our biggest blunders and mistakes have been the turning points or tipping points on what did we learn? How did we improve things? And I believe every one of our ventures has had at least one major colossal turning point, tipping point that was all built around a horrific mistake we had made along the way. Um, but it's important that you figure out how to learn from it and grow and be better.
2: If you if you're in sports, your your activities and your your performance is reviewed every day in the newspaper, mm-hmm. right? And and good or bad <laughs> that 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 happens. And for us, you know, we do spend a bit of time reviewing what happened and how we can do it better. And that's just in, it's introspective, but it's also done quarterly with our with our leadership team and and other things and. Uh, and even actually Scott described an instance where he used Lucy today. And of course I sent him an email and we put it on our issues list for Monday morning because there was an element inside there, which we should have caught and, and, and we hadn't caught it. And instead we're, we're in this actual conversation with a client in the midst of it, Scott uncovered something. And my answer was, there's a process error that we had. Mm. Right. And so, uh, this is today, right? Literally today. That was a speed bump. Yeah, <laughs> so, um,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, have yeah, there no, ever no, been no, one where no, you've gotten far no. down the road or raised money and went, uh-oh, this idea just isn't going to work?
1: Yeah, well, so the Magnet 360 business. It's insp- inspiration because we talked earlier about, like, you know, how does the earlier business inspire the next one? When we sold the prior business, Imagine It, we became part of WPP, the world's largest holding company of ad agencies and media companies and we saw things that were great in it, but we also saw things that were flawed. And so when we made Magnet 360, we came up with a network model to make a better holding company. That was the original inspiration. And you know, to make a very long story short on it, we made our biggest investment at about year three. And it's something that our mentor and board member, uh, chairman of the board, Skip Gage, adamantly said, don't do it. That's a huge mistake, it's not gonna work, I don't trust it. And We did it anyways. In fact, really, I pushed it through. I get credit for this one, and it was horrible. It was as close to making a fatal decision for the Magnet Three Hundred and Sixty business. If I could, if I jumped and I grabbed the steering wheel, I drove it as fast as I could to the to the ditch. Hmm. Uh, As a board member and supporter, I never got an "I told you so" from Skip. He just put his hand on her back and said, "You know, what did we learn? How are we going to do this?" And we learned a lot from that experience, and we reformulated the entire vision of what magnet 360 would be Hmm. and our and when i say that i mean it wasn't just a marketing slogan it was we changed our model from a network model to a direct model we changed our um the profile of, of how we worked with customers how revenue worked everything and for and skip could be a pretty tough board member sometimes we'd go into board meetings thinking man we just killed it this quarter we did great and you wouldn't get the pat on the back. You'd get pushed to do better. But on that one, where he totally said, don't do it, and we did it anyways, he was nothing but supportive. Hmm. And he just helped you build yourself back up. And we rebuilt the business around that terrible mistake.
2: Wow. And actually, i want to give Skip another piece of credit because we learned an awful lot. He was an awesome mentor and, and friend um, in the long term. There was, a, there was a point where we wanted to save the place that we invested in. Hmm. We I mean, we really, because we knew we could. But it would have probably saved that and killed the rest of the company kind of thing. It would have killed everything. Right, <laughs> Or and or everything. And, uh, and Skip had a way of just saying things in, in a sentence that you don't need a whole lot of time. And so he, he, he turned to us and said, be careful not to step in other people's shit. Mm. And that was it, right? And and it, it told you everything you needed to know, which is why do we want that on our boots? And, you know, he's not looking backwards, he's looking forwards. And Scott just explained what how easily he could have looked backwards and, and come down on us. That wasn't what he was doing. He was saying, hey, we're here, we're going there, and all you're going to do is get your boots dirty.
0: Hmm. That, that takes some real discipline.
2: Oh, he's, he was fantastic.
0: Everybody needs a good mentor. <laughs>
1: and by the way, that was after, what, an hour presentation that we had spent two weeks because we, because as entrepreneurs, you think you're not going to fail. And we thought we are going to steal victory from the jaws of defeat. And after the two weeks of preparation, the one hour meeting, Skip said that one sentence and we realized what we needed to do.
0: Hmm. Is there before we, we let you go is there um, is there an idea that that percolates that you know you're not going to get to because you're focused on this thing or the next thing, just a throwaway for for someone out there <laughs> are there are there are there fields that you're looking at and you think this is a place I would go if I were just starting out on this journey today?
1: It's not really how it works. <laughs> okay. Shoot. Um, but I will say that you know we both have. From a family standpoint, we both have kids. His are a little bit older than mine, but, you know, he goes from in college to, what, five, year, five years out, and I've got, you know, a daughter that just graduated high school and a son that's still in. And we both do things where we get to see, um, like today I was on campus at the University of Minnesota, and I was speaking to a group of 30 people at the College of Liberal Arts, and I just love that. But as I think about it, as people start their careers, not necessarily for entrepreneurism, But you have to think about what career paths are going to be safest from the evolution of technology. Where are things going to um, not get displaced because of automation, but will benefit from technology and that people can make career bets and choices around what is going to be relevant and important versus things that might get clobbered uh, as a byproduct of uh, evolution of tech.
0: It's a good way to think about it. Dan, what would you say?
2: Um, You know, it's funny... (laughs) I have ideas every day. We talked about this earlier, so uh, most of them are terrible. So, I, I, you know, I could publish a list, and, and, uh, and you know, Scott said 9 out of 10. I think it's 19 out of 20 probably would be a, a terrible thing, and there might be one that's decent. But to succeed in entrepreneurism, you know, and again, you know, if you love coffee, you open. you can open a coffee shop. But if you don't love coffee, don't open a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And so it's so much, so much of it is our passion towards what we're doing. And uh, if you don't have that passion, an idea is worthless. And the best ideas are, are not because they were a great idea alone. They were a great idea executed by a great team who had a passion to do it. And, um, and so you know it's got to be it's got to be yours not not the idea you can hear the idea anywhere it's got to be yours because you have to care about it it's got to be yours because you're going to risk everything to get there it's got to be when i say everything i mean your friends your family financially all of it's on the line um as you embark on these journeys and uh and so just a good the best idea whatever it is and if you want to look backwards and say facebook or Google or Apple none of which you could have just done because they were good ideas they were good ideas as executed by people with an unbelievable passion towards delivering those outcomes and driving there and we also said and never has the idea that we embarked upon directly led us to the place we ended up hmm. and Scott you know just told a a story about that but that's 100% of the time and a good entrepreneur is hyper focused on their idea and their outcome and knows when to pivot. Mm. Cause you can you have to be able to do both. Right. And 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 when I say hyper focused on this, and and so many people are gonna tell you it's a dumb idea. The point is and, and actually Kawasaki, Guy Kawasaki in his his book, The Art of the Start, says, beware of the bozos. The bozos are people that now look like us, uh, have been successful. He describes them wearing suits. We don't do a lot of that. Um, But, you know, pull up in a nice car and and you think they know. And the truth is, no, we don't know. Nobody knows. It's about what you do with your idea and how you get it to where you want to take it. And so the last thing you need is somebody's good idea. Here it is. Yeah. Uh,
1: Ideas are dime a dozen. And one of the things we really try to recognize with the Minnesota Cup is not just the good idea, but the team that can make the idea real.
0: Mm -hmm. You both have very long bios. It's a lot to fit in. If you had to call out the thing that you would most want to be recognized for, and I know you're you're not nowhere near done, what would it be? What are you most proud of in this amazing career and journey that you've had together?
1: We kind of talked about it earlier, but the thing that I'm most proud of is the alumni of our ventures and what they've accomplished. Uh, I mean, you know, it's I'm excited about what Dan and I have done together, but it is so cool when we see a team that met through our venture and then goes off and does their thing
2: and they work their passion and make it a big win.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent there. Uh, it's it, it, you know. Again, we we work for big companies. We make technology. We help them compete competitively. None of which, you know, in the end, makes you proud. Like I changed the world. I saved lives. I did all kinds of things. What does make us proud is watching uh, others succeed. Uh, in, in, you know, and and then the, and actually, our next generation. As we look at our children and and the things that they're gonna do, um, and and be, you know, mm-hmm. as they grow and become whatever whatever that is um and the minnesota cup is a big part too right it's hard you know that we have our alumni and the minnesota cup alumni and between that uh, hopefully we've changed the weather in minnesota you're
0: both so incredibly inspirational thank you for spending this time and all the wisdom that you've shared with us really appreciate it
2: an absolute pleasure yeah thank you
0: What a great story. You won't find two more generous entrepreneurs and they just completely embody and represent the spirit of entrepreneurship right here in Minnesota. Now they talk about this topic of being wired for entrepreneurship. Both Scott and Dan said they were born entrepreneurs can you be trained as an entrepreneur if you don't feel like you were born that way? Well, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas, Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. Professor John McVeigh has a lot of thoughts on this topic of are entrepreneurs born or can you be trained?
3: What I love about this story uh, about the Minnesota Cup and also this being your 100th uh, show, yes. it shows this rich ecosystem we have here of entrepreneurs in Minnesota. So it raises that question, why? Well, I think a different perspective on this is rather than wondering why are these people so entrepreneurial, is to look back in history and realize that innovation and trade is a natural human trait that we've had for millennia. It's not a new thing imported from Silicon Valley. <laughs> we've always had yeah. this ability. And if you go back to Adam Smith, he even has a wonderful quote where he goes, it's something about This ability to trade is something that is inherently human, makes us human. He says, for instance, you don't see a dog trading two bones for a better bone fairly. It's something only humans do. We have this natural tendency to try to do something for our neighbor Mm -hmm. in a way that helps our neighbor and helps our neighbor focus on what they do best. And so we both end up better off. And we've been doing this for millennia. And what's also interesting then, if we combine that with some of the work of a psychologist, Edward Land, who uh, looked at young people at five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, and as adults, Mm -hmm. and he looked at their innovative capacity, not problem solving, but how innovative they are. And 98% of them passed the test at five years old. Hmm. At 15 years old, that had fallen to 10%. And by the time they were adults, it had fallen to 2%. That's
0: so depressing. But what what was,
3: happens? Well, well, what he says was you'd be excited about that, not depressed. Because what it shows, it shows we're all naturally inventive. Human beings are naturally inventive creatures. We are all wired. We should have high expectations that most of our young people have got this ability to trade and to innovate. And it makes our world and our society richer because of that. And so, you know, we've got some fantastic institutions in Minnesota that have preserved this. We've got the Minnesota Cup. We've got 3M. We've got the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. And they're not really introducing new ideas. What they're doing is preserving this natural human phenomenon of coming up with original ideas to help our neighbor. And I love the bit when they talked about at the start Their own entrepreneurial journeys are not about just thinking out a cool thing to do that no one else can do, Mm -hmm. because that's an art, right? An artist does a cool thing that nobody else can do. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: What they say is we have to focus on doing something cool for someone else in a way that helps someone else by differentiating and adding value. That's what innovation is. It's not just novelty, it's it's an inherently social process, doing something for someone else in a way that helps them and helps you. And we do that uniquely well in in Minnesota. And when I think back on all these stories you have told us over the last 100 episodes, what a fantastic set of proofs that uh, we have just a population full of disability to innovate and trade with their neighbors.
0: Well, thank you for saying that. And I want to thank you. You have been such an important part of the show throughout the 100 episodes. So many great lessons and pearls of wisdom and bringing us into your classroom and really just being such a champion of entrepreneurship and everything that you do and that you do at the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship.
3: Well, thank you so much. We've only done 100. We've probably got another two and a half million Minnesotans to work (laughs) our way through. We got a
0: lot more to go.
3: I look forward to the journey. Okay,
0: (laughs) then we'll talk to you again soon to be continued.
3: Absolutely. Thank
0: you so much, John McVeigh. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. Of course, you got a hundred episodes to go back and listen to if you haven't heard them all, and we'll have more fresh episodes coming your way in no time. Thanks so much for listening to By All Means. It takes teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Forliddy. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means.